You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to call in the spirits. I call out first to our ancestors. I call out to all of those who lived and brought to the world things that are good and true and beautiful. I call out to those who lived well and those who died well. I call out through these people all the way to the first man and the first woman. I call out to these ancestors who dreamt of a better future, and thus we are here living. I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today that we might learn well from those who have gone before us. That we we might learn the many ways to hear them, to be with them intimately, and to know what they knew so that we do not have to repeat the same mistakes in precisely the same way again and again and again. I call out to those ancestors to help us to rise to the call of the time in which we are living and to bring forward their dreaming in new ways with innovations and inspirations and creativity so that we can do what we have truly been called to do in this time so that those who are coming can have what they need to do what they are called to do in their time. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to gather round. And from our hearts and our bellies, let us reach down to that most essential and ancient ancestor, the earth. And I reach out to the planet earth and ask each one of you to join me in giving her thanks. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming. Because it is from her dream of life that has brought life as we know it to the face of this planet. And all of its great diversity and beauty. We give thanks for all the living things, human and non-human, those with form and those without. And we give thanks to the earth for the richness of this life. We give thanks for the miracle of life and the wonder of this day. We give thanks to the earth for place, for home, for hearth, for groundedness and belonging. We give thanks to to the earth for interconnection and the oneness of all things. And we ask her to help us to understand how to be manifest here in form in a way that we can know our place in the oneness and come into right relationship with ourself and all other living things. And with the ancestors gathered round and our feet firmly planted in the earth, let us reach up from our hearts and our minds all the way to the highest power of the universe, through all the layers of the sky realms, to the highest power. And by whatever name you call that power, name it and call it down. Drawing the in the energies from above to bring into our lives protection and blessing, to bring in generosity and benevolence, to bring in inspiration, illumination and innovation. We call out to these energies to infuse us, to fill our lives, to fill our proceedings here today, to fill our day. And we ask the energy of the earth and sky to come together within us in that great Taoistic whole, that big love from which all form is born as we experience it. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth below and the sky above for joining us here within ourselves. And we ask for that energy to help us to call forth the spirit of the heart. And may the spirit of the heart be awakened and alive and ignited within each one of us. And may the heart be that unique place that it is, that crucible of change and transformation. May the heart be the place that calls up the fiery passions of the bellies and the crystal clear clarity of the mind down into the heart, the passions up, and may they mix and merge and dance in a way that they can only dance in the heart to give birth to that new thing, which is your unique genius, your gift, and that which you have to bring to the world. And may you find in your heart the courage to do it in some way on this day. So we give thanks to the spirit energies for gathering around us. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard. And may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. 
I want to give thanks to Tanya and to all of the listeners who have donated to the show since the last time we gathered. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, moves you to joy or to tears, moves you to frustration or to great ecstasies, and however it moves you in the heart, even if it moves you into questions, acknowledge in the heart that movement and allow that to move you into action. Let your heart move you into action in some way that can give back to the show. If you would like to donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and donate to the show. Any amount, large or small, it is all appreciated in every single increment because every bit of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And also do all those other many things in our crazy world of social networking that help things to grow stronger and gain a greater presence in that world. You can link to us. You can speak about us, share these teachings in your own journey circles, whatever it is that you can do to strengthen the show. It is greatly appreciated. And and as always, your questions and suggestions for shows are also what helps to keep the show rich and vital and timely for you. So we give thanks to all of you for listening, for all of your support in all of its many diverse ways, and um, and thank you for your donations. So without further ado, I would like to give thanks today to our guest, Robert Moss. Thank you, Robert. What a beautiful and profound invocation. Wonderful way to open the show, Christina. Good to be dreaming with you. Well, thank you. Um, so everyone, our, our topic today is a new dreaming society. And I'm very excited about this. So for those of you that don't know, it's can't imagine that you don't know. But anyway, for those of you that might not know, Robert is the creator of Active Dreaming, an original synthesis of dream work and shamanic techniques for empowerment and healing. He was born in Australia and survived three near-death experiences in childhood. And as an adult, his life pivoted around a sequence of dreams dreamt in a foreign language, which was archaic Mohawk. With the help from native speakers of this language to interpret these dreams, Robert became, uh, came to believe that he was put in touch with an ancient healer, a woman of power, and that these dreams were calling him to a different life. So, and I'm assuming that's the life that moved you away from being the professor of ancient history in the Australian National University, for Robert now leads popular seminars literally all over the world, including a three-year training for teachers of active dreaming and a lively online dream school. He is a best-selling novelist, a shamanic counselor, and the author of nine books on dreaming and shamanism, um, including um, new information that we'll be talking about today. If you would like to reach Robert, you can email him at mossdreams at gmail.com, and you can find him in cyberspace at www.mossdreams.com. I would also like to give thanks to the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. This is a Society of Shamanic Practitioners supported show, and so we give thanks to them for their ongoing support. If you would like to find them, you can, or any of the archived interview shows, you can go to shamansociety.org. And we are live today. So if you would like to call in and ask Robert a question, you are invited to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Just click the little Skype button or you can email me at Christina at lastmasscenter.org and I will be happy to read your question on the air. Okay, so Robert, we can't assume that everybody has been keeping up. So let's start at the beginning and um, let's start with you. So could you give us now in, in the great wisdom of hindsight, your sense of what were the one or two truly pivotal points in your life that brought you to be the man that you are today? Well, I'll take two, Christina. The first is I'm just a boy from the bush. I'm an Aussie, as you said. So I grew up in a country with the oldest tradition, the oldest human tradition, arguably, ongoing tradition on the planet, certainly one of the oldest traditions of dreaming, the tradition of the Australian Aboriginal people, who teach that your personal dreams can be your portal to the dream time, which is not about the bargain basement of the personal subconscious from Western psychology. The dream time is where it's at. It's where you get to the meaning of things. It's where you find the origin of things. It's where you're able to interact with and communicate with the wise ancestors and the teachers on a higher level. Your personal dreams can take you into that space. That is Aboriginal wisdom. So I grew up next to that tradition. 
I was challenged in childhood by a series of life-threatening illnesses. Today we talk about the near-death experience. We didn't have that phrase back in the 50s in Australia. A doctor with a bedside manner said to my parents, oh, this poor kid, he died and he came back. I don't know whether he's going to go on doing it. Go and have another baby, dear. And out of those crises of illness, there was one in particular which has lived with me all my life. I'm nine years old. I'm undergoing an emergency appendectomy in St. Andrew's Hospital in Melbourne. I'm out of my body. I'm watching the scene of blood and mess and gossip in the, in the operating room. And I don't want to be there. I slip out of the room without quite understanding what I'm doing in my second body, in my dream body. I see my mother grieving. I don't want to be around for all those tears. I go out through the window into the sunlit day, and I want to do what any, you know, red-blooded kid would want to do. I want to go down to Luna Park, the theme park, on the shoreline of Melbourne, and have some fun. So I go to Luna Park, and, you know, I'm going to ride the ghost train, and suddenly I'm not on the ghost train anymore. I've fallen through a hole in the world. I see as traction. I seem to be in a world inside the world where I am received with great love, great love, great familiarity, by a species of very beautiful creatures who are humanoid but taller than we are and paler than we are, and I live a life among them. And I seem to, I grow up, I become a father, I become a grandfather, I do the things that they do, I know the things they know, I become some kind of elder, maybe some kind of shaman. That life is used up, and I'm rising on the smoke of the cremation fire, and I'm expecting to go somewhere among the stars, but I'm drawn back into the frightened body of a nine-year-old kid coming out of anesthetics in the operating theater in Melbourne. And I remember, now, it's a conservative time in Australia. I'm growing up in a military family. I can't talk about this kind of thing to most of the adults around me. The doctors say, oh, it's medication, isn't it? One of the first people I found who could understand and validate this kind of thing was an Aboriginal kid who was not mystical about it. He said, matter-of-factly, oh, yeah? We do that, we get sick, we go somewhere else, and then we come back. So since my earliest childhood, I've known that there are worlds beyond the obvious world, and I've been there, and I'm at home with them, and I've known that there's life beyond death, and I've known that you can dream with the ancestors. I've known that you can dream the future, and that that's an essential survival skill. I've known all of those things since I was a kid. Uh, for much of my life, much of my earlier life, I was quiet about this because, as I say, I grew up in a conservative time and it was absolutely not okay to talk about these things and the kind of society I was living in. But I used them. I used them to stay alive. I used them to keep my sense of meaning. I used them to restore my inner compass. And a point came a long time ago now, 25 years ago, when I moved to some land in upstate New York to get away from big cities and the fast track I'd been on and to, you know, listen to the the birds and the animals, the white-tailed deer, the the cypress, the, the cedar, the hemlock, the, the maple, the trees around the house, the family of red foxes that lived at the edge of the cornfield. And I started dreaming very deeply again. And this time, the dreams were summoning dreams. I found myself flying in that in-between state in the middle of the night, the hypnagogic state, you're not awake, you're not asleep, you're conscious. I found myself traveling on the wings of a red-tailed hawk, a bird that actually guided me to this land. And I found myself brought to a cabin in the woods somewhere near Montreal, but there's no Montreal in the dream. And there's a woman, a beautiful woman with a face like a withered apple, who speaks to me in her own language, beautiful, musical, cadenced speech, like lake water lapping. And I love her voice, but I cannot understand what she's saying. She's stroking a belt of wampum beads. I didn't know enough about American Indians to call them wampum at the time, and it has a particular design on it. This is the first of many encounters with a woman that I've called in my books, fiction and nonfiction, Island Woman. She was adopted by the Mohawks. She was originally Huron, but she was captured, captured as a child, raised as a Mohawk, became Wolf Clan mother of the Mohawk people in the early 1700s. Uh, has a small place in the documentation of history. She's a historical figure. She was also an Arundiwana, a woman of power, and a Zedzots, a dreamer, which means someone who dreams strong. In Mohawk, the word for shaman, healer, doctor, dreamer is the same. It means one who dreams strong, one who dreams true, one who dreams a lot. And my communications with her began to give me uh, a place from which I revalued everything that was going on in my life, everything that I looked at. I revalued everything. I changed my life again. 
It put me on the path of becoming a teacher of dreaming, the way that our ancestors dreamed, our ancestors of the past and our ancestors of the future. I learned this from her, this woman living maybe seven generations before me. I learned that the ancestors we need to interact with are not only our ancestors of the past, but our ancestors of the future. I feel an obligation to her, to Ireland woman living seven generations before me, but Christina, I also feel an obligation to a woman living seven generations ahead of me. I dream of her, too. She appears in my visions. She is a priestess and a scientist. She's trying to rebuild this world seven generations ahead of us. So these are the things that uh, restored my inner compass, uh, made it uh, a matter of experiential first-hand knowledge for me that there is more than one world, and it led me to find ways to help others safely travel between those worlds and bring wisdom and harmony and healing from all of them. So clearly, we're, we're, we're already deeply ensconced in shamanic <laughs> realms. Well, you're asking a couple of things, so I did what I was told. And what I'd like to do is forestall a whole bunch of questions that are going to come in in the middle when we're really getting into it. So uh-huh. let's just go quickly through some of the basics of people's questions, which would be how does what you're talking about relate to sort of the sleep dreams? Well, it does relate. I mean, we don't have to go to sleep in order to dream. And from my point of view, dreaming is not fundamentally about what goes on during sleep. It's fundamentally about waking up. But having said that, I have great respect for sleep dreams, including the ones that we don't want and certainly did not ask for. They hold up a mirror to our lives. They provide portals across time and space and across dimension. Of course, they're big dreams and little dreams. We can't put all dreams in the same sack and talk about them all the same way. Every dreaming culture understands that. But the common attitude of dreaming traditions, and these are the shamanic traditions, of of course, as well, because shamans are first and last in my lexicon anyway, dreamers. The shamanic dreaming traditions teach that if you're having an interesting dream in your sleep, probably one of two things is happening. Either you're traveling. You're traveling beyond your body, beyond the laws of physics, and you might might go somewhere really interesting, like a place where the departed are at home, or a place of healing, or a place of training and initiation, or a place in the future where you are scouting out challenges and opportunities that lie ahead, or a place of the past where you can establish direct contact with the ancestors. So either, as I say, in the big dream, you are traveling uh, right outside the laws of Newtonian physics, or you're receiving a visitation from someone or something that is visiting you, a spirit, another dreamer, an animal guardian, a god, an angel. Uh, all these things are possible. And these things go on in our sleep. Uh, uh, they, they go on whether we ask for them to happen or not. They go on whether we remember or not. And there is an argument to be made that our sleep dreams, even forgotten, are very important and useful rehearsals for things that go on in life in the future, for example, that we are rehearsing during the night even when we don't remember for things that lie ahead. So, you know, all of these things are accessible in dreams. And, you know, most human cultures, shamanic or not, in their own definition of how to do things, have valued dreams for a number of very essential reasons. We're talking about sleep dreams as well as visions and shamanic journeys and meditation and hypnagogia and all the rest of it. They value dreams because they understand that in dreams we might be able to get in touch with an intelligence wiser than ourselves. My goodness, we need to, whether we call that intelligence the god-goddess we can talk to or the higher self or the ancestors or all that is or the soul of the soul. We, we get in touch with something wiser than we are. And number two, they, most cultures have understood that in dreams we see the future. It is a way of prospecting, preparing for, rehearsing what lies ahead, and we want to use that information. It can save your life. It saved my life, my ability to see possible death on the road three times. I'm absolutely certain sure enabled me to avoid death, my dates with death on those three those three occasions. And number three, most cultures have understood that dreaming, and we're talking about sleep dreams as well, is medicine. It's medicine in a number of ways. The body talks to us in, in night dreams, and it shows us what's going on. So dreams can be a profound source of diagnosis. When we have problems, dreams can give us personal imagery that can help the body to get well. Authentic, customized, personal, fresh, spontaneous imagery for healing. And finally, in this respect, Dreams show us where the soul has gone. I mean, this is a great contribution of shamans, uh, I would contend, to our modern healing and medicine, that 
shamans teach us that soul loss is a fundamental cause of many human complaints, and they teach us ways to bring the soul back home. Well, for all of us, on every day or every night basis, if we pay attention to dreams, we will discover that dreams show us where the different parts of us have gone, where they can be found, and they open roads for us to bring those soul parts home. And we're talking about sleep dreams as well as the other kind. And so then how would a lucid dream is a real common two words thrown around. I'm not sure everybody means the same thing by it, but how does that fit in then? Well, lucid dreaming is one of the techniques or approaches along the spectrum of ways of dreaming. It's valid. There was a period in the American discussion of these things when people talked about lucid dreaming as an effort to control and manipulate your dreams. I'm not in favor of anything like that. Dreams are wiser than we are. You know, you want to learn to navigate the ocean of dreams, not, you know, try to control the winds and the currents of the dream world. But once we once we get beyond those delusions of control, uh, lucid dreaming uh, is certainly a valid technique. I mean, I practice and teach it. I also practice and teach things that go far beyond simply waking yourself up to the understanding that you're in the midst of a dream and becoming a conscious navigator at that point. As I say, that's useful. I think, and this is a very, I think there's a basic shamanism here. I think that the easiest way to become a conscious or lucid dreamer and to do excellent things with that ability is to start out conscious or lucid and stay that way. I mean, the shamanic journey starts out conscious and using drumming or whatever other method that he or she uses, embarks on a conscious journey, travels somewhere and returns, hopefully, with gifts. I teach people to do that in respect of their dreams and, and to recognize that their dreams give them some very interesting doorways for the journeys. For example, any dream you remember can offer you a portal for a journey, and, and you know that it's the right portal because it's your material. It's come to you in a dream. It's timely. It is for you. It's right and authentic for you to play with it. So one of the core techniques Techniques that I teach, and we can call this shamanic lucid dream if we want to tag, is dream reentry, by which I mean you remember something from a dream. It has some energy for you, it has some traction. Maybe there's terror in it. Maybe there is something to be confronted. Maybe there is something to be resolved. Maybe there's a mystery to be plumbed. You can learn to go back through the doorway of that dream image and go beyond your simple image into depths that, that may exceed your memory. Uh, face the terror, find the healing, connect with the ally, dialogue with the ancestor, and bring back gifts. And you can learn to do this with others in, in shared shamanic dreaming or group shamanic dreaming. I mean, I will set up 30 or 50 people to make a journey of this kind through the right doorway offered by someone's dream and bring back gifts. So these are examples of lucid dreaming beyond the ordinary definition of lucid dreaming, using dream imagery, becoming more conscious of what it can be, and making conscious shamanic journeys with the help of those images. So I think we're down to the, the last phrase or term that people ask about, which you actually already began to bring up, which is how this, the term, the dream time, kind of fits into dreaming. Well, as we're using the terms in English, there's a variety of Aboriginal terms for these things, and there are 500 Aboriginal languages. We don't need to get into all that. The difference between, <laughs> the difference between personal dreams and the dream time is this. Your personal dreams are your information, they're your experiences, they're coming to you or coming upon you, and they might or might not be of great importance. I mean, dreams might be routine processing, dreams might be a simple commentary on how you fed yourself the night before, I mean, not all dreams are big dreams. But your personal dreams can be your doorway, your personal doorway or portal to the dream time. And as I said earlier, in Aboriginal understanding, the dream time is the all at once. That's actually a transla translation of an Aboriginal term, and it's a rather nice one. It's simple, but it's muscular, the all at once. The dream time is where it's at, by which I mean you will find the origin and purpose of your life inside the dream time. The dream time is, if you like, multidimensional reality. It is a place beyond time. You can travel to it, and from it you can step into other times or other dimensions. It is a place where you have easy access to your true teachers and mentors. And your personal dreams can take you there. So can, you know, difficult processes of initiation and shamanic training. But your personal dreams might give you the immediate visa, the immediate passport you need to go to the dream time. That's a very cool thing to learn to do. Okay, beautiful. I think we've covered all the ground. <laughs>
all the, all the ordinary ground. Really? Let's, let's get back to the non-ordinary ground. Okay, so with all of this said, then, um, let's talk now about active dreaming. Right. So why don't you give us a sense of just the, the basic, what's active dreaming? Well, I made up the phrase as a provocation. I first used it in an article in Shaman's Drum eons ago and then applied it to workshops. And my most recent book is called Active Dreaming. I finally made it the title for a book. Uh, we think of dreaming, you know, when we think of night dreams as a rather passive activity. It's in the language. I went to sleep. I had a dream. But we can be active about dreaming in a number of senses. First of all, we can make it our conscious intention to go on a dream adventure. We can do that in the shaman's way by going on a journey. We can do it any night in bed by incubating a dream, which means setting an intention for the night. You know, I'd like to have some fun tonight and remember. I'd like to go to Hawaii tonight and not pay for the plane ticket. I'd like to rehearse for the job interview. I'd like to meet my spiritual teacher. I'd like to meet my soulmate. Large or small, we can set an intention. And then, you know, we prepare ourselves to catch something when we wake up. And, and that, that's an active way of approaching dreaming, which is relatively well understood. We can be active about entering the dream time by other methods including the dream re-entry process that I talked about. We can learn to take an image from a previous dream and travel inside it. We can learn to do a lot more in the twilight zone, by which I mean that liminal state of hypnagogia. You're not exactly asleep. You're not exactly awake. awake. You're floating in between. This is a juicy, fertile state. It's a state in which we make creative connections that often escape the ordinary mind. It's, it's a state in which we are psychically hyper-aware. It's a state in which if we pay attention, we'll find images rising and falling, any one of which can become the portal for a conscious dream journey. So those are some of the ways of becoming active in terms of approaching the dream time uh, or the dreaming as an active intentional traveler. But we want to be active dreamers in, a, in another sense, and that is we want to be more active with our dreams in our daily lives, in the workplace, in, in family, in community, wherever we go. So possibly the most important single contribution I have made is to invent a quick dream sharing process that I call the lightning dream work or the lightning dream work game, which enables a couple of people, they may be strangers or they may, may be intimate friends, in a very few minutes to do the following. One person tells a dream and learns to tell it like a story, learns to communicate, learns to hold the attention of the audience, and there's great power in that. So one person tells a story while the other holds a safe space in which they can be heard. That's already a gift. The other person asks a very few essential questions, always starting with feelings. How do you feel about this? Always including a reality check, what you recognize from the dream in the rest of your life, and... Could any of this happen in the future? Because dreams orient us towards the future. In step three, the friend who's listening to your dream will say to you, if it were my dream or if it were my story or if it were my experience or if it were my life, because you could be talking about things other than dreams, this is what I would think about. We train in this way people to support each other in claiming their own power. I don't allow people to tell each other what their dreams or their lives mean. I train people to speak very nicely, not just for the sake of good manners, but in order to support each other in claiming their powers, authors of meaning for their dreams and their lives. So if I talk to anyone about a dream or a situation, I will always say, if it were my dream, this is what I'd think about. And then finally, and here's the action that again, no dream sharing process that I lead or inspire is completed until an action plan is decided upon. What action are you going to take to implement the guidance of this dream or to creatively celebrate the content of the dream? What action will you take? The action could vary from doing some research into that funny word in your dream to wearing the color red to crafting an object or finding a talisman to hold the energy of the dream to traveling back inside the dream to doing performance, drama, dream theater. In my workshops, we're forever turning dreams immediately into spontaneous dream theater and performance, just as tribal peoples do. It's fun, it's high energy, it brings everybody so gloriously alive. So that's a process for becoming active with dreams in community and in family and bringing their guidance through and embodying it. So those, those are the, the fundamental meanings of the term active dreaming. So the important piece I want to just circle back around to and make sure everybody was listening is that um, the whole thing about what action is going to be taken. Yeah. You know, it's it's a way that, that the part of ourself who, I don't know, for lack of a better word, gave us the dream knows we're listening. Yes. 
because, you know, when we don't listen, these parts of ourselves kind of get bored with us. You're absolutely right. We have to we have to entertain the spirits, including our own. Uh, you use the word genius somewhere in your lovely opening. Well, you know, for the Romans who gave us the word genius, the genius is not actually the personality. The genius is that greater power that comes close when we are entertaining and we're creative and we're worth being around. We don't want to alienate the genius. It is that friendly, creative spirit uh, that we want around. So how do you entertain your creative genius, your creative daemon, your creative spirit by doing things that are fun and frisky and alive and every time you take a dream which might be the gift of spirit or these spirits and you do something fun or creative with it you you do some movement with it you 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 make art from it you make story you make skit you make comedy then your creative spirits draw closer then there is more of you and then life is much more interesting so so we've covered it sounds like we've pretty much covered these sort of three core areas of active dreaming because you've talked i think well here about t- the talking and walking the dreams and bringing the guidance from the dreams and the dream world into the everyday world so the you know there's not a big gap but they start well, to we, 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 together. we've not yet talked about one of the, one of the central things um active dreamers uh, who live who live consciously we don't just dream consciously we live consciously we approach life as a waking dream we approach the world as a set of dream symbols speaking to us all the time actually i'm much more of a symbolist about waking life than about sleep dreams i'm quite literal about sleep dreams and i'm an absolute symbolist about everything going on in the world around me one of my my personal mantras is we need to be more literal about dreams and more symbolist about waking life one thing we haven't talked about to pick up the thread is Navigating by coincidence, navigating by synchronicity, paying attention to the symbolic pop-ups in the world around you. On an everyday basis, I pay more attention in my life to the symbols and play of synchronicity around me than to the content of sleep dreams. Both are, are equally important. It's really a seamless web. But from, from I, I, I go through the day looking at what rhymes, how one thing evokes another thing. I, I play the game every day that the first unusual or unexpected striking thing that enters my field of perception might be a message from the universe speaking to me right now. Uh, since I live in an urban environment and out in the woods as often as I would like, it might be the, the, the vanity played on the car in front of me. It might be the or the behavior of that black dog on the street corner or the behavior of those crows and that hawk in the park. But So I am looking and always alert for signs that the world is giving me, and I teach people how to do that. So learning to navigate by synchronicity is absolutely central to this approach. It, I'm just chuckling because one of the things that um, the way I look at shamanism is I say to people, you know, you treat your life as if it's reality, but it's really the conspiracy with your soul and your entire life to get you to wake up to why you're here. There's right. nothing real about it. <laughs> you know, but like you're saying, it's not any more real or not real than the dreaming life. That these well, are, what you, well, Christina, what you just said, that is for real. that is for real so so you're talking also about this part um that i noticed in reading that it's it how this begins to reshape how we live our days in between the workshops or in between the sleeping nights but that it, it really changes how we live Oh, it does. And, you know, living that way, looking at synchronicity and at symbols in everyday life, that way puts a little effervescence, a little fizz of magic into the air. There's one more big thing I need to say to sort of make it a complete, more complete canvas. When I'm, let me put it this way. When I'm asked on planes by strangers, what do I do? I often say, you know, I'm a storyteller. And what I do is I help people to find their essential story, their bigger story, and to tell it really well and to live it. And, you know, we use the word shamanism. When we go into the languages of the people from whom we borrowed the word shaman and the original core practice of shaman, when we go to Central Asia and go amongst the Buryat and people like that, the Tungus, we find, of course, they have no isms. They don't have a word called shamanism. Their word, which we translate as shamanism, means literally the tellings or the stories. Mm-hmm. So they're in the tradition of the, you know, progenitors of shamanism is the understanding that whatever our shamanism is, it has a great deal to do with stories. And I think beyond anything else we've discussed, 
in my approach to life, writing, teaching, shamanism, dreaming, and the rest of the absolutely fundamental thing, the most fundamental thing is to help people get to the biggest story of their lives, the biggest story of the world they want to inhabit, to find the stories their bodies can believe in to do better, to find the stories that bring the soul back home, to find the stories they can live by. So, you know, the way that I teach people to share dreams and other experiences is all one of the techniques we use to help people to find, identify, tell, and live the bigger and bolder story. And I notice that when people have a sense of that bigger and deeper drama in their lives, you know, we do better. We can cope with the ups and downs of everyday life a bit better if we are seized with a personal mythology that tells us that behind the curtain of our consensual hallucinations, there is a deeper game in play, and we are now a conscious and active part of that. So also in your writing is um, that active dreaming is for individuals and for communities. Absolutely. And then there's also, you haven't talked too much yet about tracking and group dreaming and how, you know, there's the individuals and their bigger story and right. if every individual was connected with their bigger story, there would be a much bigger community story going on. Right. Right. Well, let's take – that's quite a menu, isn't it? We, are we going to talk about this for another six hours? We will barely have gotten started. Uh, tracking. Well, tracking is when we do something for someone else in the way of shamans. I think somebody who practices shamanic journey and can readily understand – but, you know, you might be given an assignment to get some information for somebody else or do them a favor or find a part of their soul, and you're going to ask your animal guardians and your spiritual helpers to assist you, and you're going to make a journey with the drum, and you're going to come back and hopefully have done some good. We can do this as dreamers with dream material. You know, somebody has a dream, somebody has a question, and we can learn to track for each other in that, I think, fairly well-understood shamanic fashion. So that's one aspect of tracking. The group dynamics, the community dynamics here are even more interesting. I described a simple, you know, regular process for sharing dreams or other experiences, including shamanic journeying, always resulting in an action plan. Picture this. You've got, a, you've got a, a finite circle of people. Let's say you've got six, eight, ten people for this example. And they've developed a practice of getting together regularly to practice these techniques, including this method of sharing dreams in a quick, fast, fun, and active fashion. Within that circle, each person in the course of the evening or the day will take turns to play guide, to play dreamer, to play family support, to play timekeeper, and all the rest of it. So you'll have constantly changing leadership. Instead of one person guiding the process one by one by one, people will take turns to guide the process for each other. They will take turns to be the speaker, telling the story and learning to grow their ability to tell the story. They'll all serve as family support, community support, egging each other on in the most positive fashion to get to the personal meaning and truth of things and to come up with an action plan. This is actually a model for a revolving, rotating kind of community leadership, as well as for claiming the power of the voice, the power to speak up, which could be adapted and used in many ways. We don't need to use it only for material based on dreams. We can use it for other material. So that's an example of how, a very quick example, of how active dreaming, an active dream group or circle, can be a model for a new style of community and a new style of leadership. And my most recent book, Active Dreaming, for those who are interested, has a great deal more about this and a great many practical suggestions for how to bring this kind of thing into community, into the workplace, and so on. And that book, Active Dreaming, ends with a visionary document or a selection of documents I actually publish at the end of the book a collection of papers from a future dreaming society, a future commonwealth of dreaming where education, healing, community seership, and everything else is organized and done along completely different principles from our society where dreaming is central to the good stuff. So why don't we just go there? So why don't you talk with us a little bit about your vision of a new dreaming society? Well, it starts with the kids starts with the kids, you know, the uh, very young children are the masters of dreaming and imagination. They're naturally shamanic. Anybody who's had the privilege of listening attentively to very young children knows this. I have three daughters, 
And I would say that my most important teachers in ordinary reality have been my daughters when they were very small. From the ages of two or three, and I'm answering your question, I'm just grounding it in personal experience. <laughs> From the ages of two and three until the age of nine, I helped all of them to keep dream journals, not just pictures on the refrigerator, but books containing their drawings with my writing and then some of their writing and some of mine and then their drawings and, and, and their writing. And the same thing happened at age nine, you know. Uh, they each said the same thing. Said, "That's it, Dad. You can't read it anymore. It's my secret book, which you know makes you understand that this <laughs> journal has really taken off." One of them, the youngest, said to me when she was four years old, "She said, Daddy, you know I go to this special place, this teddy bear land. Oh yes, I've heard about that. Do you want to know how I go there? Yes, please." She's received no training from me, just encouragement. She says the following: She says, "Sometimes I take the rainbow bridge. Sometimes I take the sun gate." Sometimes I take the tree gate, and sometimes I just punch a hole in the world. Sometimes hmm. I just punch a hole in the world in order to go to the Magic Kingdom that doesn't require a ticket. The natural, shamanic imagination of young children. So if we're going to build a dreaming society, we start by listening to young children, giving them something to do when there's scary stuff in the night to move that energy out, and above all, encouraging them to act creatively from their dreams, to celebrate, to write from them, to create art from them, and then to use dreaming as a central technique taught and instructed at different levels of practice throughout the whole educational system. In my future dreaming society, this is what goes on. The first business of the day, the first pleasure of the day for any family is to listen to each other's dreams, follow a simple dream sharing process, always resulting in action, and then carry the guidance from the dream through the day. That's how it starts then, you know, in terms of how society sees collectively, envisions collectively, scouts the future, plans collectively, well, you need the dream seers. You need people who are particularly trained and versed as dreamers and a guaranteed independence from politics, corporate interests, and all the rest of it, to advise with the clarity and objectivity of the dreamer uh, on where things are likely to go if such and such a course of action is adopted, where threats and problems for the society are developing that escape routine analysis. So seership, the seership of the dreamer, is central to how the society's collective leadership envisions the world and prepares for the future. In medicine, all of this is central. You have sort of pre-need clinics where people share dreams and help each other to understand what the dream might be revealing about what's going on inside the body and what the body needs in order to stay well. You have groups that are practiced. Nurses are central in this. And I have a lot of nurses in my programs. Nurses are the number one occupational group represented in my workshop, and I teach thousands of people every year. I teach a lot of nurses, and nurses really take to this. Nurses in particular in the future are schooled to help people develop imagery for healing from their personal material, from what is delivered freshly and spontaneously in dreams, which the body can believe in because it's coming from right inside the psyche, uh, the psycho-spiritual continuum of the dreamer. And then, of course, soul recovery, soul recovery, soul recovery. People help each other. People help each other to recognize what the soul needs, where it has gone, and bring it home based on the dreams. You dream of a younger uh, companion of the same sex. You learn to look at that dream to see if that is a younger part of you that the dream is helping you to identify and might, might help you to bring home. You dream of being back in the old place again and again and again. Well, that might be telling you part of you is still stuck in that old place, and you can learn to go into the dream alone or companioned by friends who are going to help you to find that person in that old place and bring them home. So these are, this is all mainstream medicine and healing in the future dreaming society. So uh, this is um, a particular interest because we do have a, a movement going on globally right now of people talking at least and, and shifting and moving around and frustrated with leadership and wanting to find um, a way to emerge as somewhat more responsible in the leadership of their lives. Um, it's been called many things, but mostly the Occupy movement. The challenge, I think, is what is the new model? How, how, how is it going to be actually different? And, and I'm, I wonder how, you know, because of course our practices are exciting and fun and wonderful, but if they don't come back into our lives and change the world, basically, then, you know, 
kind of wasting our time. So what's your sense of a, a, I mean, it seems to me a perfect fit, but maybe that's just me. Well, we change the world by changing ourselves. I mean, that's not that's not a new statement. That's where we have to begin. And of all the Occupy tags, and I have great sympathy for the Occupy movement, but of all the Occupy tags, the one that I find most thought-provoking is the tag that says, Occupy Yourself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that one. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I started out as a professor of ancient history. I mean, the word Occupy or Occupation means to take possession of something. You know, mm-hmm. we're seeing it in a positive light with the Occupy movement, but don't let's forget that when the Nazis occupied Western Europe, it was called the occupation. You know, the, the, word, the word can have different meanings, different valences, different weight in different situations. But the idea, occupy, your, in other words, take possession of yourself, get it together, be whole, don't be an empty house as you go about trying to deal with other things, is a very pregnant and striking thought. Occupy yourself. Uh, if we have more of ourselves in the house of our own psyche and body, uh, then we'll do better for those around us. It is precisely when we are missing fundamental aspects of ourselves and missing our connection to the self on a higher level that we're likely to do most damage to ourselves and others. So I think that this approach, which also reaches to community, because, you know, I've talked about ways in which sharing in these this fashion and visioning together in this fashion can, can grow a group ethos, a practice of talking, a revolving leadership in ways that are helpful. But, you know, occupying yourself, taking possession of yourself, getting more of yourself in the home of your body and your soul and reopening your connections to a larger self, that is going to do good wherever you go. You will do good wherever you go when you're in that condition. If you're stumbling around as a half-inhabited tenement, you're not likely to be able to do all that much good, whatever, whatever, what, however noble you think that your, your cause may be. And when it comes to growing the, the collective vision, the community vision for the future, you know, my, my book, Active Dreaming, has some very practical techniques for growing a community vision. You know, you set the agenda. Here are ways that you dream on it. Here are ways that you enlist the aid of synchronicity to get a second opinion on it. And here, finally, is how you grow a vision strong enough that it wants to take root in the world. Uh, so this is about the practice of imagination. Sorry, I got thinking about something else there for a minute about growing a community vision. Um, That's all right. Um, So, um, what what would you see as, um, I don't know what the right word would be, perhaps a richness or an enlivening that could come into the kind of standard shamanic practitioner's life through this work. So, for example, one of the first things that I see is with the, with the um, sharing, the lightning dream work process. I know for myself, when I'm teaching and people get into these long blah, blah, blahs about their journey and we still haven't gotten to what the journey means yet, I just want to take a nap. It just sucks <laughs> the energy right out of the room. Right. And, and then... There are certain communities where they're really offended if I don't let them tell their whole journey. Uh-huh. It's like, we can all journey here. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what? Why are we still pra- talking pra- about this? Pra- practice, it drives practice, me crazy. Practice, practice, practice. I mean, let me comment on that, but let me first say that one of the first things to be gained from this is the immensity and freshness of the material. You're encouraging people to bring their personal experience from the night, from sleep dreams or hypnagogia, and from synchronicity during the day. You have a ton of fresh material, and some of the images that are shared with you are going to work better for journeying than standard prefabricated images by which you're going to instruct people to do this or that, go to the lower world, upper world, or whatever. You have fresh doorways, fresh portals, fresh material. The Inuit shamans say that the spirits require fresh words in order to be entertained. They also require fresh images. So you have a plenitude, a freshness of material. It's going on all the time, and you know what? This is now grounded in people's everyday lives and experience. There's no disconnect required between what goes on in a gathering or a weekend workshop shop and what people do during the week because if you've encouraged and trained people to work with dreams and synchronicity and imagination the way that this approach does, then they are prepped to do it every day. It becomes a part of daily practice. There is no disconnect. Now, in terms of how people share things and how you avoid that, you know, lay you flat kind of endless, you know, monologue or uh, endless, endless uh, narrative that you can get, 
I'm very fierce about time, very fierce about time. If you ever come to one of my workshops, you'll find that everything is clocked, and it's sort of a paradox because we're doing such absolutely fresh and unscripted material. But whether we're doing spontaneous dream theater from a dream that was shared a moment ago, or whether we're doing a journey you know, through the astral realm of the moon to the Sirius star system, or whether we are taking people into the realm of the departed to rescue a soul that is lost on the other side, we do it on time. And when it comes to the sharing, it's the same process. You get people in a small group and you say you have 10 minutes or you have 15 minutes or whatever you set for each person in the group to tell their story and to be guided towards action. And then it's done. Then, then the gong goes and that's, that's cut off. And people appreciate that. They learn to go with it. They learn the practice. And the practice is very important because I think it's like this. If you're raising real power in one of these situations, and you and I know that real power, sometimes immense power, can be raised, you don't want it to be like a flash flood, it's there and then it's gone and the land is dry again, or like a forest fire that takes everything and leaves nothing behind until next season, perhaps. You want you, you want to do it within safe boundaries, within safe channels, within effective channels, like irrigation channels, if we take the analogy of the deluge, so that the material is not lost and wasted. So having strong boundaries of space and time, obviously the, the space has to be protected in terms of, uh, terms of both physical and psychic barriers, but in terms of boundaries of time, so things get done on time, the material is focused and harnessed within time, that's part of developing the the power that becomes available. So I'm very, very fierce about time during my own program. Is there anything else that you would offer as a suggestion just for the standard shamanic practitioner with um, not just the active dreaming, but anything in in these realms that would, I don't know, enliven or support or somehow deepen that? I think think there's something terribly simple and fundamental. Uh, Shamans are dreamers. First and last shamans are dreamers. Now, I don't know whether what you call the standard shamanic practitioner would agree with that definition for himself or himself or herself, but cross-culturally, it is like that. When you study the literature, when you study the traditions, when you go amongst the different indigenous peoples, shamans are characteristically called to their practice by their dreams, often their night, spontaneous night dreams, and a great deal of what they do consists of dream traveling whether, you know, it's done in the privacy of the night or whether it's done with hallucinogenics or whether it's done with drumming or whether it's done as part of a part of part of journeying. Um, it's it's it, it's dreaming. It's, it, it's traveling in consciousness intentionally to do some good. So the idea that shamanism as it's practiced today is not centrally and vitally concerned with all the aspects of dreaming, including including tapping into and harnessing the power of night dreams is bizarre. I used to run into that attitude a lot more 20 or 25 years ago than I did today. It always seemed to me strange because I'm a dreamer. It's where I come from. I didn't start out thinking of myself as a shaman or a shamanic type. I'm still very wary of the word shaman and the way people brandish it about. I'm happy to accept the adjective shamanic, but I'm not very happy about running around calling myself a shaman. I'm a dreamer, and I'm a teacher of dreaming, and I'm a teacher of shamanic dreaming, and I'm doing something that humans have been doing for a very long time, but for me, the, the fundamental description of what that is is not that it's shamanism, it is that it's dreaming. And in the Western Hemisphere, you know, at least in North America, the most common Native American word for the person we describe as shaman means literally dreamer, one who dreams. So if we're sort of lost to this understanding, we're somewhat out of kilter with Native American, at least North American practices, as I mentioned, among the Mohawk, the people whose language I had to study because of my dreams, the word is adzadzots or radzadzots. It means dreamer. It means shaman. It means doctor. It means healer, all of whom are required to be dreamers traditionally. And it implies one who dreams strong, one who dreams a lot, one who can travel and dreaming and visit other people and scout out the future on behalf of the community and find lost souls and put them where they belong. So, I mean, the central thing for me to say is shamanism is about dreaming. Dreaming is about shamanism. The Kagwahiv, the shamanic people of Amazonia, say, quote, Anyone who dreams is a little bit shaman. Well, anyone who's a shaman needs to do, in my opinion, more than a little amount of dreaming. And that includes breaking a dream drought if you've been detached from your night dream making that part of your practice, find a way to break that dream drought and be open beyond any ceremony, ritual, or prepared material to the spontaneous gifts that are coming to you because it's in the night 
often unasked for, that your truest spiritual teachers are most likely to come looking for you. The Iroquois, the Iroquois, of whom the Mohawk are one of the nations, say that someone who has lost his dreams of the night has lost a fundamental part of his soul, and I believe that that is true. Thank you, Robert. Is there any anything last that you'd like to say here, just in closing for today? Well, how, how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> oh, a few minutes, which are a long time on the radio. Well, I think that journaling is part of the practice. I think, really think it is. I think writing things down, of course, you might not be so much a verbal person. You might want to do it through images, or you might want to create your your dream bag, your medicine bag of dream talismans and objects that, that, that record your dreams in, in, in their own way. But I think that writing your dreams and keeping a book of yourself and your soul that centers on your dreams, it will contain other things too, is very much part of this practice. And to pick up something you said earlier quite wisely, we want to do things that entertain and please our spiritual sources of guidance. And the more that we do with dreams and revelations of this kind, I think the more pleased and the more interested in us our creative spirits are likely to be. So I find that the practice of writing my journal, preferably by hand, but my writing handwriting is pretty illegible, so I tend to type when I'm at home, uh, is, is part of the practice that is fun, enjoyable, and starts revealing things effortlessly every day. So I think that journaling is part of becoming a more active dreamer. And uh, once again, being ready to be found by the story that is looking for you. And here's the big thing I want to say before we finish. In my native Australia, the Aborigines say the big stories are hunting the right people to tell them. Picture picture a predator in the bush or a shark circling in the water looking for you if you're right. The big stories are hunting the right people to tell them. I think that's how it is. The big stories that will tell our lives, that we can learn to tell and thereby do wonderful things in the world around us, are looking for us. All we have to do is put ourselves in a place where we can be found. And, you know, we put ourselves in a place where the big story can find us. When we open to the dreams of the night, the spontaneous dreams that come upon us, and when we open to the symbolic play of incidents and synchronicity around us in the fields of waking life. Thank you, Robert. So, everyone, you can connect with Robert at mossdreams at gmail.com, and you can find his extensive calendar of classes all over the world. So those of you that are listening from all over the world, um, you can get to Robert this year. He's everywhere. <laughs> what do you say, 42 not, not, different? Not entirely everywhere, but you can find me, let's say, from Turkey and Romania to Brazil. Right, but not north of the Arctic Circle or anything like that. <laughs> Not so far, though. I keep dreaming of both the Inuit and the Sami, so yeah. you know, that could happen yet. And, yeah. I, and I'd also dream of a reindeer goddess, you know, an antlet mm-hmm. goddess of the far north. So that can happen. That can happen, too. Okay, so everyone, you can go to mossdreams.com. And Robert, remind me, when is your book available? June? The new book, the new, the, the most recent book is called Active Dreaming, and you can find that and seven others online or in your bookstore. The new one is called Dreaming the Soul Back Home, and that's officially published in June. And coming out next month is The Interpreter, which is one of my novels about island woman, the Mohawk shaman and her people back in the 1700s. And that is the third book? What? About, is that the third book about her? Uh, Aren't there three novels? There are three novels. Only two of them involve her. But uh, no, wait a minute. I'm 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 misdirecting you. I think all three of them involved her. Yes, all I three of them so. involved her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's it's a, it's the third of the novels that I call my cycle of the Iroquois. And when I came out of these these immense visionary experiences of contact with the Mohawk shaman woman of an earlier time and other characters from an earlier time, my first way to write about it was to write about it under the guise of fiction. So these are historical novels. They're well-researched historical novels, but they go deep into the shamanic dreaming practices of this people. I wrote a non-fiction book about all of that, Dreamways of the Iroquois, a bit later. So that's available, too. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Robert. And and just great blessings on all of your travels and all of your teaching and all of the dreaming and um, in helping the, the people of the planet, the family, to, to come to a new way to be together that, that listens to the dreams of the children. Well, you're a dream host, Christina, so here's a dreamer's blessing for you. May your best <laughs> dreams come true. And may I you remember you. them. 
yeah, thank you. Okay, well, Robert, thank you. thank you so much for joining us here today. And I want to give thanks to the ancestors who have gathered around us here today. And truly, deeply to the ancestors of all of humanity's great dreamers, all the way back to the first man and the first woman. And I ask all of those dreamers, those ancestors, don't give up on us. Come, come to us. And may those big stories stalking us pounce. I give thanks to the earth below and the sky above and to the heart energy that unites us all. Thank you all for listening here this week. And um, I have no idea what I'm talking about next week. I guess I'm going to have to um, ask for a dream to find out what next week's show is about. So thank you all. Have a great week and dream well. <laughs>